You are listening to audio from Community Bible Church of Savannah, a sermon from our series entitled House Rules, a study on the book of 1 Timothy. For more information, visit us at cbcsavannah.com. We're going to pray and uh, spend some time in the Word and just uh, listen, let's listen to the words of the Apostle John. Just bow your heads as he encourages us. He says this, Beloved, let us love one another. For love is from God, whoever loves has been born of God and knows God. Anyone who does not love does not know God because God is love. This is the love of God is made manifest among us that God sent his only son into the world so we might live through him. And this is love, not that we have loved God, but that he loved us and sent his son to be the propitiation for our sins. Beloved, if God so loved us, we ought to love one another. No one has ever seen God. If we love one another, God abides in us and his love is perfected in us. Father, we have sung of how Jesus took the fall for us. He offered himself for us as the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. We also sang that he is seated at the right hand of the Father, that that at the throne room of God, that your son is seated because his work is complete, it is done. Um, And so we gather now to celebrate that. We gather to be equipped. We gather to hear from from Scripture. Uh, I pray that your spirit would use the Scripture, uh, that I would kind of just take a back seat, Lord, and that that the Scripture would speak and that your spirit would move and that we would be living stones that are built up into a spiritual house for a spiritual priesthood to to be your church and to, to love our God. And so just help us that. Help me, again, to be clear. Lord, that, that I would be true to what your scripture says. Take away from what I was going to say or add to it. Whatever, this is your church. Help me to feed them because I certainly need to be fed myself. I am just a sinful man standing before your people. And I, I want you to be honored and I want you to be loved and I want you to be glorified. And so I pray these things in your name and for your reputation, Lord Jesus. Amen. Thanks. You guys can have a seat. We are in First Timothy Three. So you got a Bible? Turn to First Timothy three. Um, actually, I need to turn to First Timothy three. I think. So let me get there. Last week we had the NBA All Star Game. I don't know if you guys, any of you guys are NBA fans. Okay, I see Ron saying no, he's not. Okay, good. But but I, this year it was intriguing to me because you had a different kind of way they did it. So you had LeBron and you had Steph, and they kind of picked their teams, right? It was kind of like this old playground. It brought me back to. The third grade, recess, you go out for recess and it's time to play some kickball, right? And so you get the two captains picking, and some of y'all didn't do this because you were scared you're going to get picked last. So you were like, I don't like kickball, but really you just didn't want to get picked last. And I got you, I hear you, right? But, but the rest of us, we kind of went out there and you'd have the two captains and what they do? They pick, they pick this guy, okay, I want Joe, and okay, I want Doris, and I want whatever, you know, and you, you draft your teams. And what were you looking for? You were looking for the guy that could kick it the furthest or the fastest. Or you didn't want the kid that was scared of the ball and that couldn't catch a cold. You didn't want him, right? Some of you, that was you, some of you, okay? But, but you were looking for skills, speed, catch, kick hard, whatever it was, right? And you just didn't want to be last. We, we started a new series a couple weeks ago. We called it House Rules. It's on the book of 1 Timothy. And here's what we saw. That Timothy and Paul were together in Ephesus. 
and, and there's a big church there, and this is kind of a mega city, and it's a real hip city, and, and there's a church that's got some challenges. They got some false teachers, they got some issues with some different things, and so Paul has to deal with those, but then he gets pulled away to Macedonia, and he's got to leave poor old Timothy, who's kind of a little timid, and he's a young guy, he's kind of got, you know, some, he's a little, he doesn't want to approach these things, he's got a little sick stomach a little bit, he's kind of sickly. But Paul says, here, you've got to deal with these things. And so he writes this letter that says, here are the, here, just teach these house rules. Teach these things to your church, and, and we'll, we'll ta- it'll take care of itself. And so we saw truth that brings love is rule one, and, and mercy that motivates was rule two. And, and we talked about prayer as rule three. And last week we kind of brought some order to the congregation, because God has a God of order in his leadership structure. And where he's going to go today is... One of the things that, Timothy, you need is credible leadership. You need, you need some, some leaders to take care of these things. And so the question for us is, what do we look for when we're picking leaders in the church? Do you look for the guy that can kick the furthest? Do we look for the guy that can catch the fastest? What are we looking for as we, as we need leaders, incredible leaders in the church? That's what our text is going to say today in 1 Timothy 3. So hopefully you found it. If not, it'll be on the screen. We're going to cover the first seven verses. And here's the idea, y'all. Like like Spurgeon said, that the church of Jesus is the dearest place on earth. Jesus loves his church. He is passionate about y'all, about his church. Not because it's perfect, right? In fact, it is far from perfect. We are a broken group of people. I mean, which actually, which I know is super frustrating for some of y'all, but it actually you should love that the church is broken because now you can come here and be welcome. Because if you, if the church was perfect, then you could not get involved with it and you couldn't get engaged with it because your imperfection would mess it all up. But despite the fact that we're broken and sinful, Jesus uses his church. The church is the primary way in which he manifests himself to the lost world now. We are the carriers of the message of God, the gospel. And so Jesus has something to say about how the leadership in the church should function and what they should look like. And they're critical to the mission of the church. And so we're going to look at who they are and, and what they do and how they do it, or at least how we do it a little bit as we work through this text. All right? 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 1. And we're going to answer the question, who? start right is it up there no it was up there Uh, something happened up top so we're gonna look at who verse one the saying is trustworthy if anyone aspires to the office of overseer he desires a noble task all right so let's just stop there there is some confusion in the church, and it's because of culture, and it's because of language, and all different backgrounds. Because some of y'all already know, I'm Pentecostal, I'm Church of God, I'm Baptist, I'm this, I'm that, right? We got all these, you know, backgrounds and stuff in the church. Here, and, and here's what you need to understand, especially around the idea of titles and, and leadership in the church, because we got all different structures. So let me just, my goal is for us to think biblically. Right, is, is not go beyond or, or say less or more than the scripture. So here's what common, what, just because if we're Americans, I don't even know. What I'm commonly called by many of y'all is Pastor Bill. Pastor Bill, Pastor Bill, Pastor Bill. You know, Pastor David, Pastor, that, that's, that's a title that, you know, in America has become popular for me. And that's fine. I'm not anti that. I'm not, you know, that's great. Okay, that's kind of American, whatever. But here's what you need to understand. 
the idea of someone being called Pastor Joe or Pastor Bob is not actually in the scripture. Because the word for the word pastor that we get, the English word pastor, actually comes from the Latin word for shepherd. And, and the only time you see it outside of like, you know, the Lord is my shepherd or Jesus is the good shepherd is in Ephesians chapter 4, which the ESV actually doesn't even translate pastor. It translates it shepherd because it's not as much who you are as what you do. The title pastor is not actually a title. It's a gifting in the scripture. And so Ephesians 4, he says he gives evangelists and he gives prophets and he gives apostles and he gives pastor teachers or shepherd teachers to equip the people. So it's not as much title as it is what we do, right? So you know when he called me, you know, pastor, that's fine. I'm not, I'm not opposed to that. But what I want you to understand is it's actually more what you do, shepherd, than who you are. And that's where all the confusion is because we got all these, you know, churches with this and you got pastors and we got all these things. Bishops, where do we go, right? And so that's what I want you to know because if it's a gift also, then that means both men and women actually have it. Women and women have the gift of evangelism. Men and women have the gift of, of prophecy. Men and women have gifts of apostleship. Men and women have of shepherding gifts, right? These are gifted people that are equipping the church. That is different than leaders in offices in the church. So what you have in the early church, you had four different offices, all right? And I know some of this is, not, is new to y'all. Some of you are like, I got this. But we got a lot of new people, and there's a lot of confusion, so I got to clear it up. Four offices. The first office was apostle. This is big A apostle, all right? There's little A apostle, which is the gift of apostleship, which is people that have, like, church planning gifts and go start things. But there's big A apostles. There was only a handful of them, right? Their names are like Matthew. Peter, James, John, Thaddeus, Bartholomew, okay? These guys were handpicked by Jesus. They had seen the risen Christ. Paul, seen the risen Christ. They had to see the risen Christ and they had to do miracles to prove that they were apostles, okay? So just a very few of them. And these guys were kind of the foundational teachers in the church. We don't have big A apostles anymore. Because people aren't seeing the risen Christ and doing miracles. You say, well, I saw a guy on TV. He says he is. Yeah, and he's probably not telling the truth, right? He just wants your money, okay? But the big A apostles, no more. Little A, yes. You all are sent. But that was the first office in the early church. Second office, no specific order, and third office, we'll see this next week, is the servants of the church or the deacons, deaconesses of the church. And we'll talk about this more next week. These guys were the official servants. Now, if you came from, like, if you're more of the Baptist flavor, and some of you all are, that's okay. We still love you. It's harder, but we love you. Um, the deacons ran the church, right? They ran the church, and they smoked in between services. That's what the Baptist deacons did, okay? <laughs> am, I, am I lying about that? I mean, it's my experience, all right? Well, Okay, deacons in the scripture did not run the church. They actually were just servants, official servants, but they empowered the elders to do their job. So we'll see that next week. So you had apostles, big A, you had the deacons, and then we, what I believe there was, a, there was some women who filled the office of deaconess, who they would serve in the women's areas. And then you had the fourth area, which the first, fourth office, which is called elder, or bishop, or overseer, different names. And that's because there's two different Greek words. There's a Greek word, episkopos, 
you get our English word Episcopal. Some of you came from the Episcopal Church. And it's often translated overseer or bishop. That's why in the Episcopal Church, what do you have? You got a bishop. And then over him is like the bishop. And over him is like the big bishop. I mean, and then you got over him, you got all the way up to the top. You got the Archbishop of Canterbury. You know, you got all the big guys, right? That's, that's based on the word overseer. And then you have the other word that's translated elder, which is presbyteros, which you hear the English word Presbyterian out of, right? Elders. So these two words, episkopos and presbyteros in the New Testament, are used interchangeably. So in Acts 20, you can read it later, verse 20 through 28, Paul says to the church in Ephesus, he calls the elders, the presbyteros, together. And then later he says, God made you overseers, you elders. He made you episkopos. So they're Ideas, they're interchangeable, okay? It's the same office. But that's the role that we're going to talk about today. That's the role that Paul deals with, the, the office of elder, bishop, right? Which is actually a more biblical name, elder. So you want to call me Bishop Bill? That would be more appropriate, you know? Bishop, pontiff, uh, you know, whatever. You know. It's, uh, just, just call me Bill, okay? And if your kids want to call me Mr. Bill, even though you probably remember uh, Saturday Night Live, that's fine too because they don't know... Saturday Night Live, okay? But the idea there is elder, bishop, overseer is an office. Pastor is what we do. And I want you to get that clarification, right? Because it's important. I think it's, it's a more biblical way to think about it, okay? So he says, if anyone aspires, desires to be an elder, to be an overseer, it is noble. It's good. But here's what you got to understand. Why do they want to be? Because if they want to be, because they want to be in charge, because they want power, because they're saying, oh, I'm going to fix this joint. I mean, there's a mess going on and I got this taken care of and I'll come in and clean house. If that is their heart, then don't make them an elder. Because what Jesus says is, he, he says to his disciples, you know the, rule, the rulers of the Gentiles, they lord it over. And their great ones exercise authority. It shall not be so among you. Whoever would be the great among you must be your servant. Whoever must be first must be your slave. Even as the Son of Man came to be, not to be served, but to serve and to give his life as a ransom. See, the call to elder has nothing to do with power. It is the call to die to self, to die to my preferences, to lay down my life, to sacrifice for myself, for the sheep. That is the call. And so if a man's not willing to lay down his deal and, and, and his arrogance and his pride, then don't. Make him an elder, because an elder's aspirations is actually to serve and to die, not to be in charge. Right? That's the idea. So if he, if he desires that, it is noble. And so you say, what do you look for? A guy that's a CEO, a guy that's got the most money, the guy that's super gifted. He says in verse 2, an overseer must be, circle that, it has to be, number one, above reproach. That is kind of the overarching guiding principle of the entire text. He got to be above approach. And what above approach basically means is nothing sticks to him, right? Accusations. He is, the, I'm not saying he's perfect. There's no perfect dudes in this church. There's probably a little bit closer perfect women, but they're still not perfect. But the dudes are definitely not perfect. But he is overall, he's above approach. The, the biggest thing you got to understand about when it comes to leadership in the church is credibility is, is key. It's foundational, right? You might not even like this guy's personality. He might have a different personality. He's just, you know, whatever. But it has nothing to do with that. Is he credible? Is he the kind of guy I can give benefit of the doubt? So, for instance, so I remember back in the 90s, 
I got out of college, and, and uh, it was Bill Clinton was running against Bob Dole for presidency. And I, you know, was kind of into that back then. And so I would watch the debates. And I'll tell you what, I was enamored, still am to this day, with Bill Clinton's ability to communicate. Unbelievable how he can engage an audience. I mean, just super gifted dude, right? And whether, you know, you can ask, do you like him as president or not? I don't really care. But you could, say, you could argue. Was he a good president? Was he a good leader? Yeah, sure. Was he a great communicator? Super gifted. Unbelievable. Engage an audience like no one I've seen. But are you going to let your daughter intern for him? Because I ain't. So you, you got gifts. You got, you, got, you got communication. You got a good leader. But you bump into the credibility issue, right? And, and the idea, if, if that's true in the secular world, how much more true in the church? Right? So we're not looking for the best businessmen, the most gifted, but we are looking for credibility. And that's key. So he's got to be above reproach. He's got to be the husband of one wife. Literally, the text says a one-woman man. So what does that mean? I could give you hours. I could, you could read commentaries for days about this little phrase. Let me give you kind of the big picture, and I'll tell you where I'm laying. Some people say... That this means you should have only one wife at a time. Well, that's a smart move, first of all. Okay. But I don't think that's what Paul is saying. Because if you had more than one wife, people would think you were crazy anyway. And you wouldn't be qualified. And in the Roman Greek Empire, you could do whatever you wanted outside of marriage. But you couldn't have more than one wife. So I don't think he's talking about polygamy here. Although there's some good guys like Calvin and those who, who would, would argue against me. But I don't think so. Number two, people would say one woman man means you could only have been married one time. Very popular view in the church, right? It's very exegetically possible. I have one of my mentor. This is where he lands. Uh, the idea is if you've been divorced, you cannot be an elder. Um, and, and that's just kind of what it is. And then there's subpoints and subpoints. And what about widows? And what about remarried? What about all these different kind of things, right? Here's why I don't think it's just about divorce. Number one, I think if he wanted to say you've never been divorced, he could have said you've never been divorced. Number two, I feel like it makes divorce as an unpardonable sin. What if someone got married at 18 and, uh, and their wife left them, had an affair, whatever, or husband, whatever it is, and then they got remarried at 25 and they've been married for 43 years to the same person. But something they did before they even knew Jesus. So I, ha I have some struggle with that. Um, if, if, if he wanted to say he never been divorced, he could have said never been divorced. What I think in the third position, and this is kind of... Uh, the, the popular position today especially, is that he means that this is a person who is completely devoted to their spouse. They don't have a wandering eye. They're not down the Tybee looking, ooh. They're not down on, you know, at that Forsyth Park thing, ooh. You know, they're, they're not on, looking on the web at this. They're, they're not flirty with the, with the girl at the office. They're not over huggy. And they're, they're completely devoted to that person. This is my wife. This is my spouse. I am committed to them physically, mentally, emotionally, in every single way. That is the type of person you want leading the church. Because Jesus is completely devoted to his bride. You want someone completely devoted to their bride. He's a one-woman kind of man. That's the idea. He is, and you could lump these next three together. Sober-minded, self-controlled, respectable. He is, so he, he controls himself. He's not ruled by anything. Right? He is, he's respectable. So it's, it's a guy that he loves good food. He loves himself a good steak. Right? He doesn't eat vegetables because they're bad for you. Right? No, I'm just kidding. But he, he loves good food. But he's not a glutton. Right? He might have a glass of wine. But he's not a drunkard. 
He might like some golf, but he's not consumed with it, that he neglects his family. He might even exercise a little bit, but he's not so worried that he's 46 and doesn't have abs anymore. Because that doesn't work unless you're in Hollywood and Photoshop everything, right? He, he's just not ruled by anything except for the Spirit of God. He enjoys what God has given, but he's not controlled. He is respectable, right? Because here's the thing. Life is the product of hundreds and thousands of decisions, right? Boom, 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 making decisions all the time. And, and when you step back and look at this guy and how he's made decisions, God is seemingly blessing him. It doesn't mean he makes every right decision. He's seemingly blessing this guy's life in the way he's kind of worked through it. The elder has to make decisions, and they're not made in a vacuum. They come from the deep place of, of the soul. So you can look at this guy, real tangible things in his life, and say, okay, I see his character. I know the kind of decisions he's going to make, and I can trust him to make that kind of decision in the church. That's the idea. He's respectable, self-controlled. He's next hospitable. Had nothing to do with decorating and flowers on the dining room table in the spring. Okay, Martha Stewart's kind of hijacked this from us, right? We need to get it back. But the idea of hospital is he loves strangers. That's what it means. He, a lover of strangers. So if he's the grumpy dude in the back, it's like, I don't like that guy. Then he's not an elder. If he's yelling at the, at the old sweet old lady in the neighborhood who's walking her little schnauzer, and the schnauzer takes a little mess on his yard, he's like, hey, get off my yard, bring up your dog boo. You know, if that's him, he's not hospitable. Right? He, if he's just standoffish and not welcoming, he's not kind. No, a lover of, of people is, is generous with his time, generous with his person. He's welcoming, he's approachable. That's what you're looking for, hospitable. Right? He is able to teach. That doesn't mean he's gifted per se, but he is capable. It doesn't mean he's going to stand up on this stage. But what it means is because the elder has to, to, to deal with false doctrine. So he's got to be able to say, that is not true, this is true. Here's why. Because Timothy says this, because Jesus says this, because Matthew says this. So he's got to be able to fight error, and if he's going to fight error, he has to teach in a, in a personal context. That's the idea there. Right? He can't be a drunkard, which you would assume would be, I mean, I guess it was an issue in Ephesus. I don't know. But it, he's not the guy that has one too many. He stumbled around Market Street at 2 a.m. He is not on St. Patty's Day the, the guy that jumps into the river like, Woo, I'm Irish. He's not that guy. He doesn't need pills and, and two glasses of wine just to go to bed every night. He's self-controlled. He's not addicted to wine. He's not a drunkard. Because drunkenness, y'all, is sin. Right? So he's going to flee sin. He is not violent, but gentle, not quarrelsome. You can lump these together. He is a guy who doesn't, he doesn't look to fight. He's not always looking for a, all right, let's go. He's not looking for how he can brought the hammer. Right? You do not want guys in the room that are, that are aggressive and wanting to go to war. You can get all messed up if those are your men. Now, that said, we want guys that don't want to go to war, but if you have to go to war, they will. If they, if they have to defend the faith, if they have to go after something, they will. But we're not going to fight over minutia. Right? Some people, you know, the emails before they come, are you a five-point Calvinist, a four-point-three-point Calvinist? Are you a this? Are you a that? Are you a this? No, I, you know, if, if I was responding, I'd say, no, I'm a Philly fan. Thank you very much. <laughs> but our guys are much more gracious with them. But the idea that the elders are not going to fight over if you're a pre, a post, a this, a that. We're not going to. That's not. I mean, I have positions. If you want to hear my positions, ask me to lunch on your dime. 
I will tell you all my positions. Take me to lunch, please. All right? I'll explain all what I think. But that's not the highest call for us. We want to see people uh, reach with the gospel. We want to see people equipped in the big areas of life. Uh, we want to love people. We want to be the church. Right? Amen? So that's what we're going to focus on. But if there is a time to correct, and there sometimes is, this guy leaves his wife. And he's having an affair. This guy's off doing this. And, the, and, and this, this, this dude's playing video games all night long, all the time. And his wife's like, she, he don't help. We have that. By the way, you know the average video gamer age in their country? You'd be shocked. It's not 16. It's 35, 36, 37-year-olds. That is the average video gamer. Some of you are like, yeah, I know. I made Colonel last night. You're a loser. Let's move on. Okay? <laughs> but so sometimes we got to go to that guy and like, dude, you need to put the kids to bed and let, stop with your wife. I mean, stop playing video games. It's not real. Right? But when the elder does this, he is to do it with gentleness. Here's what Paul says to Timothy right before he's going to die. Tim, Paul, 2 Timothy is his last letter. He's about to die, and he writes this last letter. But he says, the Lord's servant must not be quarrelsome, but kind. If the dude ain't kind, don't put him in the room. If he's a jerk, don't put him in the room. He's got to be able to teach. He's got to patiently endure evil. I love that line because we want it now and we're like this and we want to fight in Fox News and CNN and WTOC. And we're just fighting, fighting, fighting. And the elder says, I'm going to be patient. And I'm going to correct my opponent, that's the person on the other side, with gentleness. How, how different is that from what you see in the world? Right? And here's why. So that God perhaps may grant them repentance. Here's what I know as, a, as an elder. I know I can't change anything. I know I have no power to change anyone's heart or opinion really on anything. That if someone's going to repent of sin, that is a gift from God. And so it's super freeing for me that I can go into a counseling session or into a room and say, y'all, here's what Jesus says. And you can say, I don't care or man, I need to repent. And that's on you. See, I, I, it's a tennis ball. You know, and I'm not a tennis player. I've played before. I kind of give them a nice little lob, right? It's just a nice little tap. Ooh, it's not like a bam. Some of you want to just like a, uh, you know, Pete Sanford some right in the face. And, I, I'm, and if I'm playing tennis with you, I will try to do that. But in the spiritual realm, I'm going to give you a nice little lob of the truth. And then you can do with you with, as you wish. You can say yes and hit it back or you can just let it go. That's what our job as elders. To be gentle. Not to be quarrelsome. To go to war if we need to, to, to shoot some wolves and kick some dogs to protect the sheep. But we're going to be gentle with the sheep, right? Next thing, he is not a lover of money. Money doesn't drive him. Money is not his goal. He's not trying to get rich. He's generous. He gives to the church. If a guy doesn't give to the church, we're not going to make him an elder in the church. That's just the way it is. But he's got he's to not want to take advantage of the sheep and use money. It's not that we don't have business principles. We have a budget and we have employees. So we have to have some business principles. But the bottom line for us is not if we're in the red or the black, although we want to stay in the black. The bottom line is, are we reaching people? So money doesn't drive this thing. People drive this thing. And the elder, as a servant, is not distracted by money. He's not driven by money. He doesn't love money. He cannot. Next thing. He must manage his household with dignity, right? He must manage his own house well with dignity, keeping his kids submissive. For if someone doesn't know how to manage his own house, how can he take care of God's church? 
The idea is this, test the small before you test the large. So this past week, my third-born Seth, we went out, he had baseball evaluations out in Pooler. So we go out for evaluations because all these coaches are sitting there, all these guys that think they're in the major leagues, but really it's 12U baseball. And so they got their clipboards and they got their cool uniforms and they're all like watching these 11-year-olds. I'm like, dude, anyway. All right, so they, what they do is they put these kids out there. Number 31, number 31 runs out and he gets three ground balls. Three ground balls. And then he goes over to the cage and they, you know, it's a pitching machine. So they just put three balls in. All right, three ground balls, three swings. You're out. All right, thank you, number 31. Here's the thing. As an ex-baseball coach, I can, after three ground balls and after three swings, I can tell you if I want you on my team or not. Real easy. You might have dropped every single ball, but I can see if you know how to play the game. And I can see if you can swing. If you're like throwing the bat or you're like, oh, you know, whatever, you know what I mean? I know I don't want to draft you on my team. I want you on that team. But I can tell, even if you drop the ball, even if you swing through, I can tell if you can swing or not. I can tell if you can throw or not. If you're throwing like, I'm like, then I don't want you on my team, right? Okay. But if you, can, you pick it up, even if you drop it and you're like, you know, you can kind of gun it over. I can tell just after a quick little small eval. And what he's saying is check the small before you put in large. And the small is the home. The small is the home. Right? If he's going to be an elder, make sure his home is not chaos. If his kids are the ones that are on like the nursery wanted poster, he wanted this kid in jail now, three-year-old then he shouldn't be an elder. Not that the kids are perfect. Not that the kids are going to be missionaries. Not that the wife is the first lady and she's got to go and do all the Bible. No, 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 no. It's not even, you know, that I can't convert my own children. Do you realize that? If I could give them my faith like the Apostle Paul, give it to the nation of Israel, I would. I can't even convert my own kids. I can provide an environment in which they can believe. They got to they gotta make the call in their own heart and soul. Am I going to follow Jesus? I want to encourage that. I want to facilitate that. I want to water that. I can't force that, right? And so, but the elder's home has order, not perfection. And it says he manages his house with dignity, not domineering. He is not a dictator. He's not yelling. It's not fear. His kids respect him. Now, it doesn't mean that he's best friends with his 15-year-old son. He's got to be a dad when he's a 15-year-old. When he's 25, you can be best friends. But there's order. The four-year-old is not pastor's kids. Running around. The 16-year-old is not throwing keggers at Tybee and vaping in the daggone bathroom in between classes with his jewel or whatever y'all knuckleheads are doing these days. I don't even know. Right? I, I know a little bit. I know enough to be dangerous. I'm following some of y'all on Finsta. I've been watching y'all. Okay. Think I don't know you. I see you. But that's the idea. Test his home first. Make sure his kids respect him. Make sure that they're not chaos. Because if he's going to have chaos at the house, he's going to be chaotic at the church. So the test is small before the large, right? We want men who, when they get home from work, they realize, okay, it's second shift, right? It's second shift now. It's not my time, me time, video game time, this time. I'm not saying you shouldn't, oh, I got to go for a run, honey. But it's, hey, I'm going to come home and I got to deal with these kids because these kids will be a knucklehead. So I'm going to deal with these for my wife and I'm going to help her get these kids' homework done, blah, 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 yell at this teenager because this one's, it's his turn to be yelled at. And, you know, and I'm helping little kids go to bed and I'm helping this. And then, okay, now we got the kids in bed. Now you got to watch a Hallmark movie because that's the way it is, all right? So we watch a Hallmark movie. Okay, now, okay, I've taken care of my kids. I've taken care of my wife's heart. Okay, it's, now i got to go to bed. 
well, you know, where's me time? Well, me time is at 4.30 when you wake your tail up if you want time. Because you got a job, it's called work, and then you go home, and then you got another job. And if you don't like it, then don't get married, single men. Because that's the way it is. But we want men that understand that. And I'm being a little bit exaggerated, but, but that's the idea. They're leading in the home, they're leading in the church. All right? And so test it there first. Because if he doesn't lead there, he can't lead in the church. He says he can't be a recent convert. He can't be a newbie. Not because newbies are bad. We love newbies. It's because if you're a newbie, you might get puffed up with, any, with given a little bit of power. You see this, right? In high school, you make a kid the class president, all of a sudden he thinks he runs the country. I'm the president of the 10th grade at Calvary. Who cares? It's just because you can throw a football. We all know that. Right, but the idea is if you put a new person in authority too quickly, it can puff them up and they can become arrogant and they can start thinking they're better because everyone's showing them deference. Oh, you're an elder in the church. Yeah, yeah, I am. I'm pretty important. And the, the elder does not swagger anywhere, right, except when his football team wins and then he swaggers, right? But other than that, no, the elder comes in humble and gentle, right? Y'all. Jesus rules the universe, and he is gentle and humble in spirit. Isn't that amazing? That's, what he, that's how he describes himself, all while holding up the entire universe, which was created by him, for him, through him. That's the model, all right? So we don't want people falling into the condemnation of the devil. The last thing you want, I, I would say it's even worse than a drunkard, is to have arrogance in leadership, because God is opposed to the proud. If you got nothing else, get rid of the arrogant. He gives grace to the humble. And the last thing is this. He must be thought of well by outsiders. So they can't fall into this disgrace. The idea there is, who's an outsider? Outsiders, non-believers. So those outside the church. The last thing you want is if I go to a guy and say, hey man, how's Joe? He's an elder in our church. And he says, Joe goes to church? What, the church of the devil? What church is he a part of? Because the way he talks and the way he works, that's the last thing you want. And, and here's, I hear this all the time. It's happen, it happens all the time, and it saddens me. Thankfully, it's never to this point been one of us. But I'll hear, my boss says he's a Christian, and he is a beast. And I'm like, man, we got enough struggles. That's the last thing we do. Just please don't tell anybody you're a Christian if you're a jerk. Please. Or at least tell them you go to some other church. I, I go to the First Methodist Church downtown. Hey, don't tell them you come here. Please. Because we're fighting and it's a spiritual battle already. And when you are obnoxious or harsh or grumpy all the time. Man, what, if, if people are like, well, if that's what a Christian is, I don't want any part of it. Then daggum, y'all. Why should they? Really. And I'm not saying you don't got to make decisions. I'm not saying you... but. The idea is outsiders. Your neighbor is not like, yeah, I hear him yelling at his wife all the time. They think their glass, their windows are thick, but they're not. And the kids are all coming under people's yard and they're yelling, get off my yard. Don't you see it in my grass? If that's you, he says, don't make that guy an elder. Because it brings disgrace to the church. If he's, if he's a disgrace out there and you make him in charge over here, what, what does that say? Right? So that's the idea. He's got a good rep outside. And these are all related. You can see how they're all related. Right? He's thought of well by outsiders, his baseball team that he coaches, his whatever in the community. That's, so that's the who they are. Okay, that's what you're looking for. What do they do? 
And, and you guys, I'll give you, your homework is, if you, if you want to go a little deeper, read 1 Peter 5, 1 to like 5, 6 or 7 there. But let me just say, the first three verses cover the what of what elders do, right? And, and it's one word for me. It's a big word, but it's, it's broad. But Peter says this, I exhort the elders among you as a fellow elder. So Peter's an elder and an apostle. He's got a double role. He says, as a fellow elder and a witness of suffering of Christ, as well as a partaker in the glory that is to be revealed. Here's your thing. Shepherd the flock of God that is among you. And you can read the rest later. But the big idea is, what do elders do? Elders shepherd. They pastor. So that's why, the that's why I established that up front. Pastoring is what you do. Elder may be the office. But he says, shepherd, feed them, care for them, protect them, lead them, all those things. Be examples of them. That's what an elder is supposed to do. And the scripture is very clear on the big things that we do. But it's not always, it gives some freedom in the little things. So what does Jesus say? Make disciples, right? Church is supposed to make disciples. Or we say equip the saints for the work of ministry. Great. How do we do that? That's where the elder says, okay, in our context and with our group and with our gifts, this is what discipleship and shepherding looks like in our church. And churches are all over the map. They, got, they do different stuff. Some churches bring, you know, they bring in like big attractional stuff. we got Christian comedian, boom. we got plays and musicals and blah. And they just, you know, smoke machines and dry ice and woo. And that's fine. That's their deal. Other churches are real high liturgy. It's oh, you know, they got the organ. And no one sings and no one's happy. But that's what they do, right? And then you got other churches that, that do curriculums and videos and uh, groups and, you know, there's programs. Some churches are super programmatic. I mean, it's a program for anything. You're a Christian and you like to bowl. We got the Christian bowling Bible study. You know, you bowl for Jesus, okay? You got that. And then you got the singles, the singles again, the singles over 50, the singles under 12. You got those groups. I mean, <laughs> so you got a program for everything. You ride a Harley, we have the Harley Bible study over there. You guys go. And that's fine too. Right, nothing wrong. I mean, that is what the leaders decide in our context. This is how we disciple people. This is how we make disciples. This is how we equip, protect. This is how we lead them by still waters and lead them in the path of righteousness for his name's sake and walk through the valley of the shadow of death with our people. Right? That's the idea. For us as a church, whether you're new or you're not, we kind of have more of a holistic approach for our shepherding. Our shepherding strategy is, is more holistic. It's not programmatic. It's very simplistic. We do a lot of big group, little group. That's what we do. That's how we kind of push care down. So we do big group. We gather to equip, right? But then we do little group. And, and almost all of our ministries have some of that facet. So you go over to kids, CBC Kids. Guess what? They gather for big group. They sing songs. Woo! They got a story. Boom. And then they go off to their classes and they do little group, Right? CBC College does big group every Thursday night, right over here. But then they have small groups that meet during the week. CBC High School meets every other week in that room for teaching. But then they scatter in houses and they kind of meet in groups bi-weekly. And there's groups that meet in the morning for coffee and meets over here. CBC Neighbors, they'll gather in a, in a big group and they'll do this. But then they'll scatter in age-appropriate deals. CBC Next, our young adults ministry, they meet once a month over there for teaching, and then they meet for like community, and so there's community groups based on that. So we do a lot of big group, little group, even us, community groups. We got 39 or 40 community groups that meet in the community. That, that's always been our philosophy, even when we were small. Now, certain things have changed. We've evolved as kind of this church has gone from church plant to small church to medium church to kind of medium large church right now. There's been, there's going to have been flux. Right? In the beginning, 
when we were down at Johnny Harris and I came on staff, we, I, I mean, as the only staff guy, we had three other elders, but I pretty much did a, I did a lot. I led worship, Lord, I lift your name on high, then I would preach, then I would lead worship again, right? And I would do the bulletins, believe it or not, right? I did the bulletins, I did all the counseling, there was one community group, I led it, there was a Sunday school, I taught it. If you were getting married, I was marrying you. If you were going to be with Jesus, I was sending you on your way. I did it all. I mean, I did it all back then. I mean, stuff like I'm, if you needed someone to go to Staples, I went to Staples, right? That's the way it was, okay? So things have changed a little bit because Exodus 18 says that, that Jethro comes to Moses and says, you need to focus on this and you need to get some qualified people to do this. And so we've hired people. So guess what? Now Ethan leads us in worship. Praise Jesus, because you don't want me. But not only does he lead us in worship, he leads the high school and the college and the CBC Next. And he leads up there. He's, lead, he's in charge of all those teams. And on top of that, he's teaching on all different contexts. and getting. He does much more than just six songs, right, that I don't do. It gives me freedom, and it gives me a focus. I, you do not want me running the books. You don't want me doing HR. Right? Because I'm going to tell all the millennials you get no vacation for 10 years and then you can talk. <laughs> all right? Okay? So, but at the same time, okay, I, you know, and the church will be all like, hey, everyone's going to lunch. Hey, everyone going to go to lunch? So like, Come on. You know, I'd be like super, let's all go to Barb's. You know, we'll be there. So you don't want me running that. You don't want me singing. What you want me to do is focus on the ministry of the word and prayer and kind of casting vision and kind of making sure that the staff is in their box, in their lane. Right? That's what you want me doing. And you want the, the admin people in their little offices, because they don't usually talk to people, but they're great with books. You don't want them up here. They'll put you to sleep in three and a half minutes, but you want them running the show behind the scenes. That's what you want. Freedom and focus. And so that's what we've done. And the big push for us, y'all, the big strategy for us, and you need to know this if you're a part of this church, is that we want to equip you to be the church. We want you to do ministry. I want you visiting hospital. I want you encouraging. I want you teaching older women. I want you teaching younger women. This is why in my, in my work class that we've been doing on Wednesday, Thursday mornings for men, I teach for 30 minutes, and then I get these guys into smaller groups, and I got 65-year-old with 25-year-old, and it's the greatest thing in our church. Not the greatest thing in our church, but it's for me the delight to have a 65-year-old dude say, hey, 25-year-old, let me tell you how it works. My kids are gone. They're married. It's beautiful. I don't, you know, I don't you, I could give my lesson away. If I could just get men together to gather of all different ages and seasons of life and just talk, and that's big group, small group. See, that's how we, sh that's kind of, we push that shepherding and care through our groups. This is why we offer community groups in locations, right? They're not perfect, but, but at least there's someone can know you and you can be known because this is just the tip of the iceberg of what we do. Yeah, we put some time into it and some effort. But it's 75 minutes. This is not being the church. Being the church is out there. And we want you out there. So we're going to press you. Big group. We're going to equip. And somewhere that you're in a small group. If you're not in a community group, I know that your season of life may not. Maybe you have BSF and that's yours. Maybe you got your group that you've been meeting with for 10 years on Tuesday mornings for coffee. Maybe. I don't care where it is. I just want you in some place where you are known and can be known. And you are being able to do those 59 one another commands. And you're being sharpened. That's the, that's the win for us, right? So our job is to kind of cast, what are we doing? How are we doing it? What, what, how are we equipping? What, what classes are we going to offer so we can equip? And what's the series we're going to do? And okay, what's the big push missions-wise? And what are we, that's where we go, right? Spiritual direction, spiritual care, how do we equip our people? And the way, the how that we do it 
if, if you're wondering, like, okay, what does it look like in the room? We have seven elders right now. We're adding four to five lay elders. We're in that process. We've kind of been telling you about that. We're going to present some candidates in a few, few weeks as we kind of pray through and talk to them. But we have seven right now, three staff, four lay elders. That's important for us. Some, it, the, the scripture never says how many. It just says there's a plurality. So you know, I've seen churches with two. I've seen it with 32. Right? But... The idea for us, and some churches have just staff elders and other churches have just lay elders, we have a mix. And for us, we want to have more lay elders than staff elders because what that it, it makes us available to do is we can, we can get together all week long and have group think and, oh, we're going to do this, we're this. And the guys that are actually out in the, the kind of world can say, y'all, y'all need to get outside because y'all you know, relating to the real world real well. So they can kind of keep us accountable for what's going on. And... When you have lay elders that don't work here full time, it slows the process of decisions down, which is a good thing, so that you don't make hasty decisions. Because me and these guys can make, oh, we're here, we're here every day, we're in it 40, 50 hours a week. We can make decisions like this, but these guys we only meet with once, twice a month. And it can slow, you guys just need to chill. That's a good thing for us. So we're adding four or five lay elders. Some of our elders have been here since for 11 years, and they're going to, you know, we need some sabbatical time um, and some things like that. So we need some fresh eyes in the room, fresh people. And so that's a good thing for us, right? And if you're a member, you'll have some say into that. But how we make decisions is through consensus. It's a big word for us. It's not, all right, here's the, the bill is out and, you know, you put, put, cast your vote and you push your button. It's not the Senate. It's not Congress. If we're four to three, then we're, then we're going to talk. And unless it's got to be done tomorrow, we're never going to go, okay, it's four to three, the fours have it. Never. We're gonna, and and if, if it needs to be tabled for a while, or if we need to just be real honest, what's your hold up about this? And oftentimes guys will say, you know what, I, de I defer, you guys are right, or I trust you men, and you get, we'll move that. That's how it works. It has to be consensus. There has to be fellowship. Look, when there is fellowship in the elder room, let me just tell you, we can make huge, big, faith-driven uh, decisions and it's just a beautiful thing you mean, like building this building or paying this building off or doing whatever but when there's no fellowship just like in marriage I mean you, if you're if you're in fellowship and there's oneness in, in marriage man you can sell a house buy a house start a company make a move whatever have a baby all these things you can make huge decisions when you're not in fellowship you cannot even decide where you're going to lunch after church right and so if you want to pray for your elders constantly, I, people ask me this, what should I pray for your elders? I just, I've said the same thing for almost eight years, ten years. Pray for oneness. Pray for fellowship. Because this is a spiritual battle, and that's always the things that are under attack. Right? And, and we don't always agree as elders, that's, and that's fine. You don't always agree with your spouse, and that's the person you marry. So, it, but we, we need oneness for decision making. We need wisdom of who God wants to be in elders. We've got plenty of qualified people, but who is God calling in this season to be elders? We need wisdom there. So if you guys could pray for that, that would be awesome. Right? And, and look, your elders, we have made so many mistakes in our 10, 11, I guess it's been, it'll be 11 years this March that we planned, I came down as pastor of this church. And we've made numerous mistakes. Many you know about, probably more that you don't. We've also made numerous good calls and decisions. But here's what I would tell you. That your elders, as broken as they are, they love you and they love this church. And they want what God wants. Um, 
And it's hard being an elder. I'm just telling you it's hard. And le leadership in, in itself is hard. Everyone wants to be a leader until you actually have the responsibility of being a leader. And then it's like, oh, I don't know if I want that. Because when you're a leader, whether it's in an office or at a church, even as a mom, your teenagers, are they always happy with your leadership decision? I don't like that, mom. Well, I don't care because I'm the mom. That's the way it rolls. Right? Well, think about when you have hundreds and thousands of people just constantly like, well, I don't know. I mean, you know, it's a 50... 50% of the people are happy, 50% are not. That's the way it is half the time. It is hard being in Satan's crosshairs. It is hard being criticized when, when you're just trying to do your best. And so, so just understand, and I'm not making excuses, I'm just telling you, it's not easy to be an elder. So if you guys could pray for them, uh, it would be awesome. And pray for us as we continue to seek God's face and what he wants for this church. Let me give you just two applications and we'll wrap it up. All right, two applications, real quick. All right, and, and I know some of you are thinking, well, this is all about elders, and I'm not going to be an elder, and so I don't want to be an elder, so it didn't really have anything to do with that me. Au contraire, montraire. I think it does. Here's why. Because every single thing on this list, which one is not appropriate for you as a Christian? I mean, really. They're like, well, I don't have to be gentle because I'm not an elder. Really? You mean you're allowed to be go be a jerk just because you're not an elder? Or I don't have to be a... I don't have to be completely devoted to my spouse. Well, why don't you tell that to your spouse right now? I'm not really having to be devoted, you know. Even singles. Let me, let me encourage you singles. High schoolers, college, young adults. You right now, I don't care who you're dating or if you're not dating, you can be a one-woman man and a one-woman woman. If you're Mr. Hookup, friends with benefits, sweep right or left or whatever way you're sweeping, I don't even know, you are not setting yourself up for victory in your marriage. You are, I'm just telling you, you are already, if that's you and you're sleeping around doing all these things, you are actually destroying the very thing that you will one day want. You're destroying the oneness. You can right now as a high schooler be a one-woman man by being devoted to the one that God will bring one day, by just being pure, by pursuing purity. Yeah, go date, go do, go, just go see Black Panther on Friday night and go, go dance to downtown and, or do something on Saturday night. I don't care, but just guard your heart and your sexuality. That's how you be a one-woman man as a single, right? Or how about drunkard? Some of you, you have too many, and you know it. You're, down, you're downtown, and you're acting the fool. And you maybe need to stop, because it's sin, right? It's, it is clearly sin. Some of you have chaos in the home, because you come home, and you're like, I'm going to go play video games, honey. I made Colonel last night. Who cares? Right? And your, your home is chaos. You're trying to be your best friend with your 16-year-old daughter instead of the mom. And, the, and when the 16-year-old daughter is not happy, no one's happy. And when, when she, because her friend's dad bought her this and you need to buy. No, you, you need to, with dignity, manage your home. Some of you are always fighting on Facebook and fighting with everyone at the office. And you're quarrelsome. And you just want to pick a fight, pick a fight, pick a fight. That's, that's, that's not what we're called to be. Some of you are yelling at the, again, the kids are on the, the yard, your yard, and you're all mad that they crushed the grass. Hospitable. Maybe you should go get some of them, like, ice cream pops, and when the kids are out, like, hey, kids, anybody want an ice cream pop? And they come over to your house, and they make a little bit of a mess, but that's hospitable. Or maybe you need to invite your neighbor who drives you nuts that doesn't even eat meat over to your house and offer them a steak, all right? Oh, but have a salad just in case. But hospitality, it's something we should be. Your boss should think, I need more like Johnny. I need more like Janie. Man, that, that person is here on time. They do what I ask. They don't complain. They're respectful. Or your employees should say, man, our boss is great. 
I love working for that dude. I don't like my job, but I like my boss. How, how, that's, what you're, that's, that's what we should strive for, whether you're an elder or not. Whether you're going to be an elder or not. So pick one or two of these things and work on them this week and pray about them.